in the past we have seen a focus on sectors that are mostly industry sectors that are regulating decision makers that are firms and very rational and very very much the kind of textbook decision maker i mean economics textbooks <laughs> and so in this kind of setting implementing and developing and executing an emission trading system is quite different from implementing one that regulates what i would call household sectors of course all sectors are household sectors but in buildings and road transport households are much more directly exposed to the price signal to the price markup and it's much more visible this is an episode of the podcast series Spot on Climate, brought to you by the Climate Area of the Florence School of Regulation. Welcome everyone, I'm Albert Ferrari, Research Associate at FSR Climate. Welcome everyone, in this episode, I have the pleasure to welcome Michael Pale to discuss the replicability of our project, Live Digit. Michael is the working group leader on energy and climate policy at the Peak Potsdam uh, Institute, and he belongs to the core expert group of our project. We meant to discuss with him the replication of the project Lab Digit to facilitate the extension of emissions trading in new sectors. Uh, Lab Digit, as a reminder, is a project co-financed by the eu Life program. The acronym DIGET stands for Deepening International Cooperation on Emissions Trading. And the main activities of the project are a policy dialogue to facilitate the cooperation between ETS regulators, the comparative assessment of carbon markets, a core expert group advising the research team, as well as, of course, capacity building and dissemination activities. So, Michael, thank you for accepting this invitation. Thanks for inviting me. My first question was about the Project Lab Digit in general. So, how useful do you think a project such as Lab Digit is in uh, supporting the development and integration of emissions trading? And how could the project be further extended in the future? In my view, such a project is enormously valuable and helpful in the sense that it covers an aspect that is not covered by other projects or by, by organizations. So um, it's a unique combination of scientists, researchers, practitioners, and regulators who are coming together to share experiences uh, in, in a setting that is unlike any other. So um, I really see a lot of value in these activities and I think it's important also to find or to establish a channel of exchange and um, um, a forum where to learn from each other. So there are some other organizations who are who are doing that but I think um, I mean for instance ICAP is it is an organization that has been around for a while but I think um, Live Digital Project Netherlands stand out or it's, it's a unique feature to this sort of exchange because it's more, uh, in, in a sense, it's more, it's more focused on really creating the channels for exchange and, and producing output. Maybe I'm misjudging ICAP's output here, but I think in terms of developing or, or um, um, thinking through new developments, um, it's um, uh, live digits on, on the frontier, and there's um, 
and, and different organizations or projects working on the same topic can really benefit from each other. So in that respect, I'm, I'm really happy to be part of the core expert group and I very much hope for an extension of the Thank you, Michael, for uh, your kind words. Um, so today, if uh, in this podcast, we wanted to explore how the concept, the methodology, the tools of the project could be replicated and applied to other topics than the one that we're focusing on, uh, carbon market integration. In uh, 2021, you co-authored uh, for Bruegel, a European think tank, a policy contribution in favor of a whole economy carbon price for Europe. Part of this publication draws lessons from the new German emission trading system, in short ETS, for fuel combustion. And it aims to take, to take stock of this uh, experience to successfully extend EU carbon pricing to buildings and road transport. So tell us more a bit about what's the experience of the national ETS in Germany, what can it teach us about the proposal of a second EU ETS that the Commission has put forward last year? Yeah, to, to start with, um, maybe with a broader view on what is going on in terms of the, the development of emission, tra emission trading systems worldwide. And I think we can observe um, distinguishable stages through which the different emission trading systems all go. And in the past, we have seen a focus on sectors that are mostly industry sectors that are regulating decision makers that are firms and very rational and very, very much the kind of textbook decision maker. Uh, I mean, economics textbooks. <laughs> and um, so in this, this kind of setting, um, uh, implementing and developing and executing an emission trading system is quite different from uh, implementing one that uh, regulates what I would call household sectors. Of course, all sectors are household sectors, but in, in buildings and road transport, um, households are much more directly exposed to um, the price signal, to the price markup, and it's much more visible. And um, this comes with two challenges. The first one is you cannot really know well how um, prices or how consumers will react uh, to the price signal. Um, and um, usually, uh, I mean, this is a behavioral question, but it's also a question of the techno-economical properties of the sector. So if you ask someone um, what will be the response of the building sector if you take this in this measure. So it's usually quite, quite difficult to get a good answer since it's, it's, it's very heterogeneous. Um, it depends a lot on the living situation, on, on the income situation, on, on if you get your heating through gas or oil, if it's centralized or decentralized. So it's, we, we, we like to speak of it as a sector, but in looking at the techno-economic details, it's very heterogeneous. So we do not really know what um, the response will be and what the mitigation impact will be. Uh, that's, that's one thing. Um, and related to that is, is also, I mean, um, the difficulty in, 
in knowing how well uh, consumers or households respond to prices in general. So there's a lot of literature in uh, economic research that looks at price responsiveness. Um, we, we know that, um, but we also know it's diff that it's different if you look at if price increases are due to taxes or if it's due to market-based, I mean, to the commodity markets driven. And we also know that very much depends on the expectations uh, consumers have. So is it is it something that comes? Do they know about it? Is it has it come to stay? Um, so there are a lot of open open questions that defy simplifications. I, I think so. This is uh, a it's it's very hard to judge um, what the impact will be of carbon pricing uh, and. What comes with it also is the political dimension, because um, in my experience, politicians are much more willing to regulate firms, um, knowing this is part of their business anyway, and do it this in this, I mean, one can do it in a very transitional mode, uh, as we have observed in the ETS and in Europe and also in other programs worldwide. But even if you take only cautious first steps, it's still a different story for, for these uh, so-called household sectors. And um, uh, this is related, of course, to, um, I mean, you, you can see this from a social policy point of view, um, that um, you do not want to create additional financial burden uh, for low-income household, households or for vulnerable households. So um, in terms of distributional justice, there are concerns that um, the lower, uh, the, the poorer people pay more uh, than the richer people in relative terms, um, or uh, uh, taking a different angle that even if you tax carbon, uh, uh, a rich person can still afford to use a dirty SUV and uh, fly multiple times a year. So there are very important and difficult fairness questions that arise that are not just climate fairness issues. So the, the simple answer would be the political pace principle. Um, but this is not climate fairness we're discussing. It's social fairness, like uh, issues of equality and equity um, that are difficult even without climate policy. It just come on top to make things more complicated. And of course, it's something that from a pol politician point of view is extremely hard to sell. And here the two things are interlinked because if you cannot say this will have this and this impact, and if people do not understand the logic of a Picobian tax, then they have a difficult time understanding or accepting why they are taxed in the first place. And then what's coming on top is the increase of prices and probably not a full understanding of why and to what purpose and to what end and how the fairness dimension is. So um, this also creates a difficult political economy situation. Um, I, don't, I don't want to accuse politicians here, that's for another talk, but uh, it adds to the uh, complexity and the difficulty of the overall problem. And so um, in my main takeaway from the German discussion is that this is the difficult question. Uh, this is the difficult part of implementing carbon pricing and it, it defies the logic of the economics textbook, again, in the sense that you just you first create the price and then you negotiate the distributional questions. I think it needs to be the other way around. It's one of my main takeaways that you need to make sure that what will be implemented will be fair. And then 
um, depending on the fairness of your proposal, um, you will have a different outcome in terms of price level and ambition. So you can have a, a second or third best proposal fairness-wise, but then you will all, only get a second or third best price level. Uh, so you really have to find the right angle to approach the political dimension, the social dimension, the fairness dimension, and separate between the actual implications and impacts and the perceived ones. And um, so on a very high level, I think this is, uh, this is, this is the main lesson. Uh, and it's the main lesson for how to think and how to solve a problem, not for specific solutions. Thank you very much. That's yeah, very insightful and important to uh, to remind to the audience indeed that the cases of industry and households are quite different. And indeed, I mean, we see it in the Feed for 55 discussion, many political groups, mem some member states are quite uh, reluctant to uh, set up an emission trading for the sectors that are directly impacting the households. Um, as it stands, the proposal uh, set up a second separate ETS for these uh, road transport and building sectors. Um, how could the two coexist? Could we consider the linkage between the two and with what implications? I know that the policy contributions was uh, emphasizing the the importance to make converge the two emission trading. So what's your take on that? Yeah. So the view on um, establishing a separate system first or integrate having a large integrated system is has very straightforward answers, um, but they differ depending on your disciplinary angle. So from an economic point of view, from the, for efficiency reasons, you would like to integrate as early as possible because then you can realign the potential efficiency gains. Of course, you have to, to build a market, a new market. And as I said, it's a different thing if you build a market for a, a relatively small number of large firms or if you have a, build a, a new market for a large number of firms where uh, the decision to buy and trade with allowances is separated from the mitigation decision. So that's, that's another, another uh, aspect here. So when you're a steel manufacturer, you, you buy allowances and you make the decisions on mitigation and to move to clean technology. In the fuel sectors, uh, the fuel suppliers buy the allowances, but it's eventually consumers um, who buy a new cleaner car or reduce energy. So you do have a separation of decisions which makes it also more complicated. And um, no one really has a clue um, how, how price formation and trading works under such conditions. Uh, we do have, of course, we have programs around the world that cover these sectors. But um, in California, for instance, we do see very, um, this is something that, that's just one element of, of a bigger trading landscape. Uh, which so far also has been mostly um, lingered around the floor price. So uh, I would say, um, I would make the daring claim that we have not seen any proper emission trading in the sector so far. So it's one way or the other. Um, and similar to what we have seen in other systems, we need to, we need to think of it, I think, as trial and learning first. Um, 
So uh, in any case, I think also from an economic point of view, we would need to establish a system and then learn how it's actually work, uh, like this has been done with the, with the existing ETS so far. So um, that for me is a good reason to start with separate systems. Um, and also from the distributional point of view, you would like to um, control for the reasons I mentioned, um, um, the, the, the price which uh, stands under different political requirements, you would like to control it in a different way in the two systems. And this is actually where the debate is, is going uh, right now. Um, there's uh, a lot of ideas have been floated, but I think the, the discussion is taking the direction that people want to ensure that the price is low and that is uh, relatively certain. So it can be controlled uh, more or less. And um, this is exactly how the decision-making implementing uh, implementation had been made in Germany. So um, we uh, officially have an uh, ETS, but this is only an ETS by name because it's a on the first five years, it's a fixed price ETS. So you buy an allowance at a fixed price, which is uh, essentially a tax. And then um, uh, after five years, there will be a price corridor with a range of 10 euro per ton, which I think uh, also cannot really be called a price corridor. So it's a tentative first step in trading. That's how I would call it. And um, of course, it does not come. It, it does contain all the all the main advantages we are seeing with emission trading systems, but it makes life for policymaker and politicians easier, especially in terms of the negotiation, because you know what you get. Um, this can be a disadvantage when you implement an emission trading system to actually enforce the targets and meet a cap. But um, yeah, I think we really need to take um, the, the first step here. Um, and at the same time, um, we know when we want to achieve climate neutrality in 2050, uh, we cannot take too many first steps that take too long. So we need some ambition and we need some speed and pace. Um, and this implies that um, I think from around 2030 on, we need, we need a full-scale emission trading system also in this at the latest also in these other sectors. And um, knowing um, or having these separate systems, we also know that for economic reasons, sooner or later, we need to have an integration of the two systems. So um, I think the only um, one needs to take into account, and it's something we are also seeing now with um, the ETS-1, is that actors in the market uh, factor in the anticipation of future developments in their bids in the market. So um, it would be delusional to think one can separate these, these two systems forever. But uh, as it's now formulated in the Commission proposal, it says that it will be evaluated at a later stage when to merge the two systems. So it's sort of contingent on the functioning, which in essence is right. But it does not create a, a, a policy path or institutional path that points towards the conversions that will sooner or later be necessary. So I think um, um, it's the, the emphasis here is on um, facilitating the political problem, which is big, as, as you mentioned. Um, but it's, it cannot be avoided and it cannot be postponed for too long. So I think in terms of smart regulation, meaning thinking ahead 
on how the market will respond um, to the new system. I think um, the the commission or who, who ultimately decides on on, on the next steps and, and setting this up really needs to take into account um, that there are some that there are some elements that manage these conversions that create the path for conversions but that man manage the, the negative side effects uh, in, in order to um, to avoid the problem of postponing it for too long and then running into deadlocks but not accelerating too much either so to really find a good and steady pace uh, that leads to um, to a vision, to a policy endpoint that we foresee for the future. Yeah, thanks, uh, Michael. I mean, we've seen it in the discussion. You also make it clear in the uh, in the Bruegel paper. Uh, on the one hand, we know that replicating the EU ETS in other sectors implies tackling many complex technical, legal political and economic issues. On the other hand, uh, you also show from the German experience that it's fundamental to have a deliberation uh, with policymakers, with stakeholders. So this leads me to the last question. So if a project similar to LiveDigit were to be developed to extend the EU ETS to other sectors, which uh, types of policymakers, stakeholders, and research topic would you uh, consider in the scope? One could think it would be a straightforward question for me to answer, but just this morning I gave a briefing for the Greens in the European Parliament on, on the social uh, climate fund and a potential climate dividend. And, and um, I was once again sort of dumbstruck how really how complex this issue is. Um, and uh, with reflecting upon this exchange, um, I, I was, I, I came to the tentative conclusion that I think um, it it would be absolutely essential um, to focus on this political and on this fair dimension and, and questions of compensation and how to to make it fair, but also how to make ambitious climate policy fair in general. Um, but I, I would think that um, we, uh, in in a way, the approach that we should take, or that a, an extension of left digit should take, should be different in the sense that uh, it shouldn't be less about solutions, but it needs to be more about structuring the problem in a in a in a proper way, because I think the degrees of freedom are so so high. Um, and, and everyone is thinking about these problems differently. So I think a sort of framework or a conceptual approach, how, how, um, how to discuss this would be a very promising direction, even though I think it would be very challenging. And maybe um, build, build on that um, similar to, to the approach of the existing project, it would probably be helpful to pursue um, more specific solutions and look for best practices, how they have, how things have been done. I mean, in Germany, it's quite, we have not reached the end of the story. I think we've just really understood what the problem is. So um, things are very much in flux. There are changes in real time. 
And so um, a lot can be gained by, by collecting these experiences and by trying to infer, I would not say best practices, but good practices. Uh, and to give you an example that it's not so <laughs> generic, uh, uh, one very important topic in the EU discussion at the moment is um, if, if, if there will be a climate dividend, which means paying back um, uh, revenues from carbon pricing equally per capita, or if there will be a targeted compensation and the targeted will be targeted to primarily vulnerable households. But then you have a discussion, when is a, what qualifies a household as vulnerable? How can you, um, what is the data you, you require to assess this? And then how you, can you channel uh, funds back to vulnerable households and which, with, with what kind of strings attached? So would you like to these households to use it for whatever they like? Or would you say, okay, this is conditional, your transfer is conditional on investing in, in some green technology and buying a more energy efficient fridge or something. And um, <clears throat> so these are the things, um, the issues that are just arising. And I, I see a lot of potential and a lot of, a lot of, of gain from such a project in looking into this direction and also looking more deeply into the price formation. Uh, of emission trading systems in such uh, household sectors. Thank you, Michael, for sharing your insight. I really enjoyed this conversation and I hope we will have the occasion to implement some of your many ideas. Thank you, Albert. It was a pleasure to talk to you. I very much looking forward to the Climate Week in Florence. Our pleasure. And thanks everyone for listening to Spot on Climate. You can find information on the Bruegel policy contribution and on the project Lightjet below in the description. Stay tuned for another episode.